Welcome to this week's episode. In this one, I have a conversation with Evan Phillips, the creator and producer of The Fern Line, a podcast about the lives of mountain climbers. Evan's path to becoming the kind of storyteller he is today began when he was a teenager, learning the basics of a sport that would, in time, define him. He was an avid mountain climber as a teenager and well into adulthood, constantly in search of that perfect line and, as he puts it, generally scaring the shit out of himself. That was until a reoccurring injury led to multiple surgeries, which inevitably meant climbing less and less. Although Evan doesn't climb anymore, he's found his own way to be part of the climbing scene through his podcast. Okay, time to shout out the Crude Company men. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, David North, Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Shane Robinson, Sharon Liska, and Scott Liska. Thank you to everyone for your support. This podcast would not be possible without you. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it continue, consider giving it a review on iTunes and subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Okay, back to Evan Phillips. For the first time in a long time, Evan is a happy dude. He stopped listening to the chatter of society, telling him he needs a regular 9-to-5 and a white picket fence, and he started following his instincts. Ever since he made that choice, he's been good. He created a podcast, The Fern Line, where he gets the opportunity to interview the heavy hitters in the mountain climbing world. We get into all that, as well as his upcoming true crime podcast, Alaska Unsolved. So here he is, Evan Phillips. Mike is hot. Mike's hot. Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. All right, no headphones, Evan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna be lone soldier headphones cool. over here. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how's it going, man? It's going good. It's going good. I mean. I can't complain, dude. I'm pretty happy with life. Yeah. Right on. That's good to hear. You know, uh, what I was thinking is uh, it, it's good to finally meet you. Um, yeah. We haven't met yet. I've listened to your podcast. I uh, wanted to actually add this full disclosure that Crude subscribes to the Fernline podcast on Patreon. Yeah, ditto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually think that that's how I became aware of you is yeah. you started subscribing to the Crude Patreon. Right. Yep. And I was like, oh, who's this? Well, I was like, I was like, man, I got podcast homies in town. I'm going to show them some love. That's what's up, dude. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So I, I think uh, it's finally safe to say it's summer in Alaska. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We might get another dump. It's hard to say. I mean, did you hear the thunder and lightning last night? I did. Yeah. I, it was, I, dude, I, thought, I thought it was nuclear war. I was like, it was like, I was like, what the hell was that? Thunder and lightning is crazy. <laughs> you thought the, the Russians were coming? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're an outdoors guy. Yeah. What does summer mean to you? Um, I mean... It's like freedom. Like when you're in Alaska and it's like freedom. I don't, um, it's funny. Like, I don't think I realized it when I was younger, just kind of how, how long and dark and kind of intense the winters can be. So for me, it's just like this, I just feel like everybody just kind of like Alaskans take kind of a deep breath, you know, and kind of just, it's like we got like three or four months to just like 
enjoy the long days. And, you know, for me, it's about getting outside as much as possible. So, I mean, so, yeah, summer means freedom for me, for sure. So you get out there and, and climb? Yeah. Climb mountains? Well, yeah, I knew, I knew we were going to chat about this. So the, the interesting thing is I actually haven't climbed in 16 years. Um, when I was 27 years old, I injured myself and it, it ended up being like a career ending injury. So as outdoorsy as I am, as outdoorsy I was in my uh, 20s and before that, I haven't done climbing in 16 years. So... <laughs> so did you is is there a correlation between not climbing and then still using your podcast the fern line to be able to be a part of that culture still absolutely yeah i mean it's like uh so yeah so i got i injured myself when i was 27 and then you know it's like that sucked and it was like a huge transition for me in my life but really what that did was it opened up um creative outlets for me you know, so I had like a, a music career kind of in my late 20s, early 30s. And then, um, you know, just a couple of years ago, like I'd been recording bands. I kind of started listening to podcasts more. And I was like, you know, it's like I, I, I always, even though I haven't climbed in a long time, like I've always, con- like I still consider myself like a climber and an alpinist. So I just decided I wanted to kind of be in that world again. And I thought a good way for me to contribute would be to do the podcast. So it was like a full circle thing, kind of, you know. What was that that first podcast like? My first podcast? Yeah, your first podcast, that, that the I, first interview. Oh, uh, well, well, the Fern Line is interesting because I, like, even though I do kind of straight up interviews, kind of like we're doing here today, um, like I, I do a lot of production in those. So I'll, um, I'll kind of find a narrative in whatever, you know, in the interview and I'll, you know, I'll edit it down, but then I'll, I'll create kind of a story out of it. So I'll do like narration throughout the podcast and weave in music and stuff like that. So, uh, the first podcast I did was it, I probably spent about 80 hours producing it. I mean, I put a lot of time into it cause I was trying to develop, develop it from the ground up. So, um, it was intense. <laughs> it, it was intense and it was a lot of work in a, but it was awesome. Like it started, it started this podcast for me, which is, which has been great. It's been successful and it was a, it was a ton of work and it was, and it started something for me though. I didn't know about your injury. I mean, yeah. are you comfortable talking about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, we can, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, yeah, we can talk about it. It's, it's something that I don't really talk about a lot. So, it, um, but I figured we would talk about it today. Cause I, I, I knew you were going to ask me like, Hey, so you're a, cl-, you know, cause people assume, I'm a active climber, you know, cause I do the podcast. Sure. But yeah. So I can tell you about it. So w- when I was 27, it's actually not that exciting. Um, I basically, when I was 27, I was on a, like a rock climbing road trip. I used to go down to the desert like every winter for about four or five years. And like, I would work up here in the summer and save up all my money and then go down to the desert and kind of live the dirt bag climbing life. And, uh, I was just rock climbing one day and I tore a muscle in my groin. It was basically like a groin pull that like a soccer or a football player or a hockey player would get. Um, but I think in, in retrospect, like it was pretty serious. Like I think I probably tore a muscle, um, like in my upper thigh and I mean, it was really painful. Um, but you know, the short version of a long story is I basically, you know, back then I was a guide on Denali. So 
you know, and I was 27 I, and I was really fit and strong and thought I was invincible, you know? So I basically went up on Denali in a lot of pain and I basically just re-injured it a bunch of times to the point where it never healed. And, you know, for the first couple of years, like I had, you know, I had some surgical procedures and stuff. So I think I might have some, uh, I think maybe that first surgery might have not been a good thing to do. So I basically just have like a chronic, like kind of a chronic pain injury in my core area. So, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's hard to describe because I don't have like, it's not like you break a leg or something. It's like you just have a, it's just kind of something that developed over time. And as I've gotten older, it's unfortunately kind of gotten worse, not better. You know, I usually save these for the end. Sure. Um, I ask the crude followers on sure. Instagram. Sure. I think you actually reposted it on, yeah. on Fernline. Yeah. Um, if they have any questions that they'd like to ask right. you. And uh, Lila Hobbs asked a question that fits perfectly right here. So I'm just going to sure. go ahead and ask. So mountain climbing is inherently dangerous. How does someone reconcile that with their personal reasons for climbing? Yeah, that's a pretty deep philosophical question. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think climbing is, it's a very selfish, it's a really selfish pursuit. I really believe that. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but it, it, it you know, it's, it is dangerous. And so, uh, you know, I've always believed that it, it, it's it's a personal choice, you know, for for people to do that. Um, but I, you know, I kind of just think that if you're a climber doing that, those kinds of activities, it's kind of your responsibility to talk about that kind of stuff with your family and like the people that love you. So I like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I can definitively answer that because I like, I mean, I'll tell you straight up, like if I could still go out and climb, like alpine climb at a high level, you better believe I'd be doing it. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's something in like in my life that I've never been able to replicate those feelings like through music or anything. Like I would, uh, I mean, I would, I would give up a lot of things in my life to be able to do that again. So, you know, and I guess maybe I'm kind of a selfish person, <laughs> but I think we all are. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm insane anyways. Like I'm, I'm that way with all the things I do, like with the podcasts I do. And I just am super driven and passionate. And so I don't, I don't know. I just, I think the best way to answer is I just think it's a personal decision. And it's something that if you're a normal person and a good person and have empathy and sympathy, uh, you know, if you have empathy for the people in your life that care about you, I think it's important to address that stuff with them. But, you know, it's all, like there was a, a couple, two like world-renowned, well, three world-renowned alpinists that two of them I knew and interviewed for my podcast actually got killed last month in Canada. And they're actually having the memorial down in Spokane for one of them today. So this is something that's getting talked about more in the in the climbing community. And I, I'm, I think it's it's something it's something that I actually try and and talk about on my podcast. So, um, yeah, so I don't know if I have it. I can't necessarily answer that question, but uh, I think it's an important question for sure. I, I think it's probably different for everybody. You yeah, know, if this, if absolutely. this is something that, that feeds your soul, right. then it's something that you just have to pursue in order for your soul to be fed. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's like, it would be like me, like telling like, uh, 
you know, a NASA engineer who like they spent their whole life doing something like that. It would be like me saying, oh, what you're doing is selfish and you shouldn't do that. It's like you can't really you can't really put yourself in other people's shoes, you know. Um, it's just, you know, I'm just not one of those people that I don't I'm not critical of people that go out there and get after it in their lives. Like I'm all about that. Um, I think that's what life's all about, you know. But I'm glad somebody asked that question. I just, I can't answer it really. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a philosophical question, yeah. you know, for sure. Going off of uh, the three men that you knew that passed away in Canada, how does that impact your ability to continue reporting on the climbing scene? Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't really consider what I do reporting. It's you know, but I guess it, it, it is in some way. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't really. I mean, for, for me, it's like climbing and honestly, like death and climbing is kind of a universal topic in that world. And so I just kind of feel like my role, my role is to give people a space to process that stuff, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm careful. Like I don't I don't use my po podcast as a platform to create controversy and kind of stay away from that. I kind of, I mostly use it as a way to highlight what other people are doing, like the inspiring things that other people are doing. And then, and then sometimes we talk about grief and the other, you know, the stuff that comes up. Cause anybody who's, I mean, a real climber has, they, there's some, they have somebody who's died doing it. It's just, it's the reality. So is it possible to climb in moderation? Like, so you, you don't go to those gnarly spots. I mean, I, I wasn't the kind of person that could do it. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I got hurt because I was, I was an idiot. I mean, I was so into it. So for people like me, like maybe now that I'm older, like if I was still able to climb, maybe I would do it in moderation, but I doubt it. I think I would probably be doing hard alpine climbing. Um, but I think for a lot of people, yeah. I mean, it, it really just depends on who you are. I mean, everybody's so different. I mean, I told, I was just talking to a friend about this today. I, I, I think that there's people that say there's not like an addictive part to climbing and climbing at like a high level. I think they're not being honest. Like it taps into that stuff that like any athlete gets. I mean, you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about, the rush it taps into that. And so, I mean, if you're one of those people that really thrives off that, I'm not sure you're, that person's going to be able to <laughs> climb in moderation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's tons of people that climb in quote-unquote moderation. I wonder if that's the difference between the hobbyist and the person who's kind of pursuing this idea to go bigger and better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, it's a, I just think it's a really personal thing. I mean... Like for me, it was always about kind of testing, testing myself, you know, like one of the things that I liked about doing like big mountain expeditions and being way back in the back country to where like, if something goes wrong, like you really, like nobody's going to rescue you. Like you or your partner will have to deal with it. The thing I liked about that was that it made me really appreciate being back in town. It made me appreciate like the things like my family and the people that I love and care about because I would go, I've, I used to scare the shit out of myself, you know, 
and, and, and have experience where I was like, you know, not really okay with what happened, you know, and I would have to go process that stuff. But I, I just think it's finding, you know, you have to just find the balance for yourself. You know, it kind of just, it's like anything. It depends on what are you doing it for? Like mm -hmm. some people are doing it for accolades. And then there are some people who are, it's more of like a spiritual kind of doing it for yourself to go out and have these intense experiences and share those with partners and, and friends. And, and that's the other thing in climbing too, that is the, these bonds that you, you get with the people that you tie into a rope with. It's like, it's really hard to describe it. You know, maybe, it, maybe it's like, you know, you'd compare it to maybe like military people in the military fighting in war together, you know, putting faith in each other and putting their lives in each other's hands. It's maybe it's a little bit of that type thing. It just, it creates really rich experiences, you know, mm -hmm. but trauma bond perhaps maybe. Yeah. Or, or just, or just not even trauma, but just going out and, and being with, uh, you know, just like, just having like a good, a good partner and just having somebody that, you know, you can depend on them no matter what, like just having those kinds of relationships is like probably some of the, the most important relationships that I ever had in my life were in experiences like that, just cause it's, it's just such a different thing, you know, mm -hmm. but it's fun to talk about. I definitely miss that part of my life. <laughs> so you mentioned you used to scare the shit out of yourself. Well, I mean, I did. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean to, but like, there were definitely times where it was like, you know, like lucked out, you know? Do you have any examples? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I got, I got caught in a couple of avalanches where I was really fortunate. You know, if the, if the dice would have fallen one way or if I would have been on one side of the ridge, I mean, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have experiences like that where, you know, when you, when you walk away, you know, you, you're lucky because you get to add that experience to your life all of a sudden. Um, I mean, there was a, there was a time when, um, my partner at the time we did a 10 day trip. I think I was 24. He was like 20. Um, we started at the Matanuska glacier and we did a basically a 10 day traverse from the road up the glacier did a first ascent of like an 11,000 foot peak and then traversed over this gnarly ridge and down through this crazy ice fall through a crevasse. And I mean, it was just, it was one of those things where like you, we committed to it and it's like there, there was only one, we couldn't reverse our steps basically. Yeah. And I mean, we were like weaving through bottomless crevasses and there was like, it was in like mid late April. So there was like seracs coming down all around us. I mean, so it was like stuff like that where it's just like, I mean, we were really experienced, but looking back on that, like it could have, we could have had an accident too and it would have been bad. Lucked out, you know? How do you prepare for a trip like that? Uh, I mean, a lot of experience, you know? I mean, I started climbing when I was 17 years old and like, it's all I did. I mean, it's my whole life revolved around it for 10 years. So, I mean the way I prepared for it is I just climbed a lot and I just kind of incrementally worked my way up to, um, you know, doing the things that I did until my career ended, you know, but I was, I was definitely on a trajectory of climbing big Alaskan mountains. That was my thing. 
So it was, it was really just going out and doing it. And, uh, you know, I took some classes from UAI. I did like a glacier traverse class when I was 18, took a couple ice climbing classes when I was around that age. And then, you know, I met a friend who we just kind of connected and, and we were, we were like solid partners for my whole climbing career. And, you know, you just, it's like snowboarding or anything. You kind of find your crew, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's the same thing in climbing. You kind of just, you find your crew and you find the people that you're locked in with and you get after it. (laughs) Do you still talk to that person, that, that original crew member? Yeah. I mean, we're, we, you know, we, we, we don't talk a lot just because our lives have kind of diverged, but, um, I mean, it's funny, like, I th- I think about this all the time. He's still, like, my best friend, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, I would do anything for him, and I'm sure he would do anything for me, We, you know? But our lives have just diverged just because they have. So we don't talk all the time, but we're in touch, and um, I would say that we're still best friends, even though we don't see each other a lot or ch- chat a bunch right now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like that could change at any point in time, like, if we got together and had lunch tomorrow, like we would be like laughing and just like it was, you know, yesterday. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you have friends like that. In your oh, life. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think why it interests me is I grew up with a really tight group of friends. Right. And, you know, when we turned 18, we kind of either stayed here in Anchorage or Alaska in general and continued to work or uh, we went off to college. And when we all get together still – we're still that crew, that really good, yeah. solid group of friends. Right. And, you know, now that I've gotten older, I I wonder, like, because a few of them kind of moved and then uh, a few of them moved to the same place and they're still really good friends. And I wonder, like, if we all would have moved together, would we still be, you know, really yeah. good friends? Or like like you and your buddy, would our paths have diverged? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's weird. It's like, it's like when you're young in your twenties, you just, you think life's always going to be the same, but like, I'm in, like, I'm 44 now and it's like, man, life just changes. Your priorities change and, you know, people get busy with their lives. And so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I, 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 I guess tying it back into like my climbing friends and the, the partnerships and friendships I had back then. I mean, those people are still just like, you know, those were like, I think about those experiences all the time. And, um, all I can say is I like, I'm still tight with those people. Um, uh, you know, we, we just are bit, you know, life's busy, you know, mm-hmm. we just don't see each other a lot these days. How do you think growing up in a crew like that influenced you as an adult? Um, I'm definitely an introvert. Like I still have just, um, I mean, just from like doing music and stuff. I mean, I know like tons of people in town and it's like, it's hard to go around town. Like I'm sure you can relate. Anchorage is so small. Mm -hmm. You can go anywhere and you always run into somebody, but I still kind of hang out just with a pretty small crew of people. It's just kind of more my style. Um, So I would say the way it's influenced me as an adult is I'm still kind of that way. I still, um, you know, I like being social. I like I'm, I've never really been into like big crowds. I'm like, I'm not really the kind of guy that likes to go to a party to socialize. I'm, I kind of like hanging out with people that I'm really close to and people that we do things together. Like we do creative things together or whatever. It's just kind of more my style. So I guess it hasn't really changed. I'm still that way. You're still that person. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if, if maybe it just helps reinforce that identity. 
Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I just have always kind of thrived on more of like a one-on-one. Um, yeah, I like having meaningful interactions with people. I like I like connecting with people. I like I, you know I like spending time around the people that I feel really comfortable with. So I don't know. I I think I'm just a little an introvert, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like I think that's really what it is. Yeah, I can I can identify with that as well. Yeah. Has the Fern Line, has your podcast afforded you any opportunities for interviews where you got to interview somebody maybe that you looked up to? Oh, yeah. And you're just like oh, yeah. so happy that you were able to talk oh, to yeah. them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, I got to – I got to probably the most like famous person that I've interviewed is Conrad Anker. You've probably heard of Conrad. Okay. Um, or maybe you haven't, but, you know, he's like a, you know, he's probably in his fifties now, but, you know, he's like a long time, like, he's like the North Face climber guy. Is this the guy in the show or the movie Maru? Yeah. 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 I'm familiar with him then. Yeah. Yeah. I got to interview Conrad last year and it was funny, like he was in town going to the, uh, he was doing like a clinic down at the Valdez Ice Climbing Festival and he had a really narrow window window, but I got up at like 5 a.m. and went downtown and met him at his hotel. And we just set up just like you and I are here at a table. And I got to interview him for like an hour and it just had like such a great conversation with him. And it was like, we're friends now, you know, it, it, it was, um, he was everything that I thought he would be, which is just a really humble, gracious, very cool guy, just super wise. I mean, I mean, he's been through so much and, you know, um, so yeah, like getting to talk to people like Conrad has been just like a real treat for me. And then there's some in the alpine climbing world, like there's these old school dudes that used to come up here, like back in the seventies and like pioneered the big climbs out on Denali and stuff like that. So there's this guy, Jack Tackle, total badass. I was down in Utah, uh, about a year and a half ago and got to interview him. He's, he spends the winters in the desert. He like lives in a yurt with his wife. <laughs> so I met him out there and it's just, yeah, like getting to talk to these people that like I read about in the climbing journals when I was a kid. It's just, and more and more like I've been interviewing authors, like kind of well-known climbing authors. And like, I mean, I just used to devour that kind of literature when I was young. And so I've gotten to interview some of my favorite authors. It's just, it's, it's great, man. It's like, it's, it really does feel like, like this was, yeah, you know, it sounds stupid, but I feel like it was, I was meant to do this. Like I was meant to kind of reconnect with that world and and get to reconnect with that part of my life. And it's been awesome. You know, I was talking to somebody else earlier today about responsibility and looking at our lives as um, pursuing the things that we're good at, right? So if you are, are good at helping to either convey or helping somebody else tell their story and, you know, you recognize that you're very good at it and people are gravitating toward that, then that is your responsibility to pursue that. I think I agree with that. I mean, all all I know is that like for, for me, it makes sense. I mean, I, it's funny, like it's really just been in the last couple years where I, I kind of made like a really, uh, like I made a, like a, it was like a light bulb moment type thing where I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to do exactly what I want to do in my life. 
and it's probably not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to put in a lot of work. I might not make a lot of money, but I'm going to do what makes me happy. And, um, dude, that was like the best decision I've ever made in my life a couple years ago was to trust my instincts and, um, do that with the fern line. Cause it has opened up a ton of doors for me and it's, it's reaffirming to kind of follow your gut instincts, especially, uh, especially when you, when you've questioned your gut instincts in your life and you can look back and be like, why didn't I do that? Like my gut was telling me I should have done it. And I like, I intellectualized it. I talked myself out of it mm -hmm. and I, I'm not doing that anymore. And it's just like amazing. Like my, it's like when I came in here and said, oh, my life's good. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really because of the stuff we're talking about right now. Cause I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing and I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not, you know, not making million dollars a year doing it, but um, I'm making a living doing it and, and, and it's getting easier. And so I just am, I lo I'm so stoked. Yeah. 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's no joke, man. Yeah. You talked about um, meeting your idols and, yeah. you know, these people that you used to read about in the magazines and then you devoured their books. Do you feel like they're passing the torch on to you? Like you're the storyteller now? Yeah, it's interesting because see, I always, I always used to like read, you know, I had some like favorite climbing books and like what I loved was like the storytelling aspect of it. Like I love reading about, I love reading anything that's really descriptive, but with climbing, it's like I could visualize it and I could, you know, I would imagine, oh, I wonder what it's like to be in that place. Um, and what I realized is that with like doing it with audio is like audio is such a powerful tool. I mean, so I, I bet some people in the climbing community might like see what I'm doing the way I used to see uh, my favorite authors doing. Um, and I'm totally comfortable with that. Like I, I like being in that role. But yeah, I mean just like audio is just what I love about it so much is I can combine everything I'm good at and all my passions into one thing. Like I love doing interviews with people. I mean, I'm a musician and can record all my own music. So it's like, I can do all my own music for my podcast and I can do all the editing because I've been a recording engineer. So it's like, for me, it just made sense uh, to do it. And so I don't, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but I, I, I feel like it, I don't know if the torch the torch has been passed to me, but I definitely feel like podcasting and audio is like it's a new era. It's kind of this um, it's this new way of storytelling that I mean it's working for me and I love doing it. And uh, I mean it's it's funny. There's a lot of podcasts out there, but there's not a lot of climbing podcasts doing what I'm doing. So mm -hmm. it's kind of cool. I have my own little niche with it and. Yeah, I don't know. But I mostly just love it. I mean, I'm so stoked to be doing it. Even though I wish I could like clone two or three of me <laughs> for the, the editing and the production. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like the, doing the interviewing, the interviewing is easy. It's all that, it's all the behind the scenes, you know, narr like writing narration is like pulling teeth for me. Like I like writing, but I'm not great at it. It's really hard for me. So, Looking back before you started the podcast and like you said, this is kind of the culmination of everything you like to do. Right. Are you ever 
kind of annoyed at yourself, and this is coming from a, a personal place for me. Right, Are right, you ever right. annoyed at yourself that you didn't figure it out sooner? You're like, why wouldn't I just pursue that? I'm already doing the yeah. interview, and well, what are you talking about specifically? Like, wh- why didn't I? Or what do you mean specifically? Why didn't you come to the realization that you you wanted to do the fern line a couple, a couple years before? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people, like I'm a real strong believer and you kind of have to go through what you have to go through to get to where you are. And it's, you know, it's just, it needed to be the right time in the right place. And, and, you know, for me, it was just, I'd had a, I had just come off like a really negative experience with, um, working a job where, like, I'm always the kind of person, like I'm always, I always set like a really high bar and I, and I've always I guess I've always wanted to have, you know, with like work projects and creative projects, like I've always wanted to have the same kind of partners that I had when I was a climber. And these were people that you never had to worry about what they were doing. If they said they were going to do it, they do it. Like that's kind of the person I am. It's like, I can make it, I can shake on something with somebody and we've got a deal. And so I just kind of had had some experiences like working with people where I, I was just kind of burned out. I was just tired of being let down by other people. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm tired of this shit. Like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to do my own thing and do what I want to do and see how it goes. And it's going great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you know, what's what's so funny about this is, so I'm I- I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I try to interject myself <laughs> the least amount of possible, but I felt like you just took something from my brain and right. set it out of your mouth. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny too, because- like climbing for me, when I got into climbing, it was like, a, it was a confidence booster for me. Cause I actually had like a tough time in high school. Like I, looking back on it now, like, you know, I got into trouble in high school and I had, you know, I was, I hung out with skaters, people older than me. I got into a lot of trouble. You know who I'm talking, you know. You, yeah. yeah you know. Those um, no good skaters. Yeah. I mean, I, I love skating, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I was like 14 hanging out with like 18, 19 year olds getting into trouble. And, you know, I realized kind of when I got a lot older, looking back on that time, I was like, a lot of that just had to do with, I just wasn't confident. Like I always was like wanting people to tell me I was doing a good job. And it's like, it's literally taken me to being into my early forties to where I finally realized like, dude, you've got, you've got skills, you've got talents, just trust yourself. Like, just don't be afraid to do your thing. Don't be afraid to screw up. Like, it doesn't matter if people criticize you, you're going to get criticized. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. And I just don't care anymore, you know? And and I also, um, I know I do good work. I mean, I work really hard. And so I feel, I feel comfortable with that now. It took me a long time to get to that place in my life. But it's cool to be there, you know? You've arrived. Uh, yeah, I mean... A lot of people don't, I think, ever arrive in that place. Like they're, they do things in their lives that they're not happy with and they settle. And, you know, I just don't, I don't want to do that. So. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's healthy. Yeah. I think in the long run, that's, that's a very healthy thing to do is. Yeah. Pursue your own interests, but at the same time, like keep evolving as a person. Yeah. Try, I mean, trying to, I definitely try to. Yeah. I'm sure some people, what, you know, some people might listen to me say that stuff and they might be, well, that's coming from a place of privilege to be able to say that. And there might be some truth to that. But you also worked your ass off to get to this point. I've worked really hard, definitely. Um, So, you know, I, I used to, I had a, 
person in my band, we were in a band for a long time together. And, and one of the things that we, he used to always say to me is like, dude, don't ever apologize for being successful. Like, don't like, there's, a, there's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people that they don't like seeing other people have success. And he's just like, that's, it's not your problem. One thing that I've noticed is that the people who hate are usually the people that don't have shit else to do. Because yeah. if you're busy, if you're busy working on a podcast for 80 hours, right. you don't have time right. to focus on on hating on somebody else. Right. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, I, I agree with you. And it's just funny. Um, the, the, this kind of gr- you know, group of people that I, I hang out with a lot, it's, it's you know, a couple of musicians and people who do creative things. We've all kind of in the last couple of years, we've we've all individually and kind of together made decisions to make some changes in our life. And, and, you know, for some of my friends, it was, it was like getting sober and, you know, not drinking anymore. And uh, it's actually crazy, like how much better their lives have gotten just by doing that. Um, but we did, we just were kind of saying like, I, I'm going to trim all the fat in my life. I'm going to get rid of all the negativity and just be around people who make me want to do a good job. And it's, it's so cool it's working for all of us mm-hmm. having made that decision. It's so cool to see it. And did you guys come to this decision individually or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's just been, it, it's just been interesting because we, we've all, we've all kind of made just some changes in our lives. I, and I think we kind of inspired each other, you know, which I think is pretty typical when you have a crew of people, you see one of your friends, like maybe make some changes and you start seeing, wow, that like, that actually made a difference and they're doing good. It's, yeah. it's kind of inspiring. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to just be around people who are positive and, and who are working really hard and, and you're seeing it kind of really make a difference in their lives. But <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's cool, dude. I'm yeah, we're having like a self-help podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no. I like it. I just, yeah, I just, dude, I like creativity and just being around people that are doing things in their lives is, I just love it. It's just so, so cool to see people being successful and having good things happen. And I feed, I feed off it. <laughs> and I think that at a certain point, if you have kind of evolved enough as a person, you can look at somebody else's success and be happy for them. Absolutely. Genuinely happy for them. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Again, like I, I spent a lot of years of my life looking at other people being like, man, how did they how is it that they look so happy or how do they, how is it that they've made so much money or what, you know, how is it that they've created this life for themselves that to me looks really good. And usually it's cause they, they, they worked hard to do it. And it's really as simple as that. And a lot of times they've got talent too. Um, and that's part of it is just being able to like acknowledge that there's people out there that are really talented and can do things you can't do. And, I'd rather be psyched for those people and be inspired by them than to be jaded. I know a lot of jaded people because I've been a touring musician for a long time. And a lot of my (laughs) friends who've been doing that for a long time are pretty jaded. You get pretty jaded in that business. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a a tough life. So did this kind of uh, relatively newfound outlook on life, did that, did interviewing your idols have anything to do with that? No, I think it really, it just has to do with me having, 
I mean, I had this vision to do a podcast. I created it from the ground up and it was just an idea and I turned it into something. I think it has more to do with like me trusting my instincts and building something that's actually valuable to people. It's value. The podcast is valuable to the climbing community. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a responsibility to keep doing it, you know, because I know it's, it's important to people. And so I think it has a lot more to do with that for me is just like the fact that I followed my gut instincts, which were to say, do this and it's going to work out. And it did work out. And I think that's what's been inspiring for me, you know, and it's, it's opened up another, you know, it's opened up a bunch more podcast work for me. Like I'm doing a, I'm doing a bunch of things outside of the firm line too, um, which is super, super exciting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have one question Yeah, yeah. and then the next question cool. is about Let's your other it. podcast. So when you're thinking about or looking for a potential guest, what kinds of things are you looking for? Mostly authenticity. Um, I'm not, I'm not a sprayer, you know, I'm not, I don't like to spray and I'm not really interested in talking to sprayers. I'm talking, I'm, I'm interested in talking about authentic people that spend their lives being in the mountains. They don't necessarily need to be like a hardcore alpine climber. Like I interview a lot of people who are kind of just outdoors people. But for me, it's, it's, I try to interview people who are inspiring people who do really unique and special things in the mountains, but also in their personal lives. I like to talk to the people who live it, who really live it. Uh, That's, so I would say if there was one word, it's authenticity. That is what I'm looking for. So are there any stories that have stuck with you? I mean, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say the short answer is yes. Um, And I guess if, you know, if you want to, if, I mean, I could pick any number of them, but you know, like I talked, I talked to this guy, Mark Westman, who was a, he's been like a Denali ranger for, I don't know, like 15 years. Um, and he's probably one of the most prolific climbers of our time in the Alaska range, you know, so around Denali, Mount Hunter, Mount Foraker, all those big peaks. Okay. He's done like multiple routes up all of them. And he's kind of a, like, he's an encyclopedia of the, he knows everything, all the history but like he went through, he has gone through some like really life-threatening cancers in the last couple of years and like fully recovered and he's out doing that stuff. So I like, we had like a really, you know, being able to talk to somebody like that, who was like me, it's like their whole life revolves around climbing. And then all of a sudden they're like getting huge tumors taken out of them and they have to recover from that. And you know, he talked about like how the anxiety he lives with in his life, it, it makes the fear he has for climbing just pale. You know, he's got, he's got like a cancer. I don't, I don't remember exactly what kind, like, I think he's doing okay now, but he has the kind of, it was an adrenal gland cancer. Okay. So like the, the probability of it coming back is very high. So, I mean, we talked about that. He talked about what it's like to live with that in your life every day, going to bed every night thinking like, God, am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? Like, and that, I mean, that's heavy shit talking to somebody about that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there, I, I tend to, you know, if somebody wants to open up and talk about personal stuff in their life, I really try and give them a, a safe outlet and a respectful outlet to do that. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why people like the fern line is because it, it's very just real and authentic. And there's a lot of deep conversations that end up happening around stuff that doesn't have anything to do with climbing. So I guess if I'm going to generalize, those are, those are the kinds of interviews that stick with me and that I enjoy doing is when people want to go a little deeper and talk about things. So we'll talk about climbing, but we'll also talk about other things in their life. Being the recipient of all these stories and knowledge, what have you learned about the mountain climbing community? Um, well, you know, the mountain climbing community is, it's a community that loves storytelling. That's a big part of climbing is sharing those experiences. So I think, and I always knew that, but I think, you know, doing the fern line has reiterated that for me, that there's a culture in the climbing community that really appreciates um, sharing stories and sharing experiences. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think that those those stories are are about? You know, you, you said that when you're talking to these guests, if they want to talk about something personal, you'll give them that platform yeah. because really climbing, yeah, it's about climbing, but it's also about life. Yeah. It's a, like, yeah, there's a, like climbing is a really good, there's a lot of metaphors in climbing, you know, um, facing your fears, you know, like looking, looking up at a mountain and trying to spot a line and being like, can I do that? You know? And like in all the things you go through in your mind before, during, and after a climb, um, I just think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of self-evaluation in, in that kind of stuff. So, yeah. That works. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask another question cool. from Eric Roberts. This oh, one, cool. This one comes from... Uh, I know him. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. It's not... I, I, know, I know him through Instagram mostly. He's a big fan of the podcast, I think. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. So he um, he's on a mountain... Right now he's on Denali. Oh, cool! At uh, fourteen thousand feet. Nice. He sent this to his his girlfriend Lila. Amazing. From, from the first question, <laughs> and so he asks, "How does the thrill of moving in the mountains compare to the beautiful chaos of creating a song and completing both successfully?" You know, I just uh, the the only way for me to answer that question is like I, you know how I told you that I like I've never really found anything in my life that really has recreated the way I felt like when I used to be out in the mountains like that. Um, there's just not really any, I don't think there's any comparison. There's not for me. I, I like for me, like climbing and being in the mountains, it's a, it's a really pure, you know, I'm not like a religious dude. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself to be super spiritual or anything, but that's what I think. It's like a spiritual type of experience. So all I can say is that for me, you know, I try and just put a lot of passion into my songwriting. I try and, um, I try and not be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable, you know, in, in songwriting or even when I interview people sometimes or just being creative. Like I just try and be as authentic as possible and, and just do it with passion. And, and that's the same way that I used to climb. And so I think that's just kind of an indirect way to answer that question, but just doing, doing it passionately is what's important. Uh, being true to yourself and, you know, finding your own line, you know, finding your own line. And I, that's, what's cool about climbing too. It's like doing first ascents is like, you know, trying to, 
trying to find the route, trying to find the line you're going to take. And, and, um, I know back when I was climbing, it was all about finding the cleanest, purest, most aesthetic line. And so I think there's some crossover into songwriting and stuff, you know, like trying to write, trying to say as much as you can with the least amount of words, you know, just being, trying to be really impactful with the words you use, trying to write like really monster hooks and choruses and just, just trying to, trying to create something that makes people feel something. I don't know. It's, I'm like, I'm, I feel like a hippie talking about this. Stuff. No, no, I, I think it's great. I think that when you get to a certain level of just, I guess, maturity, you are comfortable with that stuff because you know it to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, I don't like telling people how to do anything. You know, I, I think it's all about figuring things out on your own. That's really valuable is like going out and screwing up, you know, doing things wrong so you can figure out how to do it right. And, you know, I guess if I was going to give people encouragement, it's like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Just like, go for it. Yeah. Like, don't, don't worry about what other people think. Um, just go for it. Be true to yourself, which is a lot easier said than done, you know? Um, again, like I, it's funny. I look back on like uh, my, my music career and I, I look back now, it's like, sure. I'm a good songwriter. You know, I've like did some really cool stuff, but like, I look back at like a lot of the songs I was writing is like, I was trying to be like other people. I wasn't mm -hmm. trying, I wasn't being myself. And, and that's the kind of self-awareness that I have more in my life now. Um, kind of makes me excited to keep making music. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm letting go of a, a lot of that stuff. Not, you know, being, being less concerned about what other people think and just like going for it. I'm doing a lot more music now for podcast stuff which is a completely different kind of writing. It's like, it's a steep learning curve. I've gotten my ass kicked, like trying to learn how to do that effectively. And so how is it different? Well, you know, like writing a song, like a, like a singer songwriter song is like, okay, well you got to come up with a verse. You got to come up with a melody. You got to come up with a hook, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Whereas like writing for podcast music, it's all about, space like you don't want really busy music you want stuff that kind of just fills in the gaps and creates something that people feel more than hear mm -hmm. so it's just it's a totally new arena that i'm trying to learn how to do better and so do you listen to other podcasts to yeah. get inspiration like oh that really worked there yeah yeah for sure and a lot of it's just been through trial and error it's like you know i'll kind of um listen back to like I have certain episodes I've done for the Fernline where it's like that episode's really good, like one of the best ones. And a lot of it has to do with obviously because the interview was just really good. You know, I mean, when you have a good interview, you have a good interview. Yeah. It's like you don't a lot of times you don't really need to do a lot of production. It's just a great interview. But yeah, I just music's so cool because you can you can create scenes in people's minds, you know, by having narration and you know building up a music it, you know in parts it it's just a, it's a new arena for me that i'm like super stoked about so and i'm um i'll just go i'll tell you about one of the projects i'm working on is i'm doing i'm working with a a team down in oregon who are we're doing a podcast for rei right now okay but what they hired me to do was basically do all the editing of everything and mix it but they also hired me to do the music for it so like I'm on like super steep learning curve right now, like 
figuring out how to do this stuff. And so far they're really stoked about it, but, um, I'm just like trusting my instincts, you know, I'm just like, I'm just trying to use my judgment and it's, it's fun. It's exciting. <laughs> well, there's a reason they hit you up, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the reason is, is because they've seen that you can do it well. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never, like, this is like a, I've never done a podcast like this. It's like a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it's like a massive production. I mean, like the pilot episode has like 50 track, 50 or 60 tracks. I mean, it's a massive session. Really? How long is the podcast? It's like going to be six or seven parts. They're each like 45 minutes okay. a piece. Um, but yeah, I actually don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, but uh, <laughs> well, it's actually coming out at the end of May, but, um, yeah. So it, it, just talking about the music and stuff like I'm, I mean, I'm completely have immersed, I've kind of thrown myself in this world and it's, um, you know, I'm trying to make a career out of it as basically being a podcast producer, like a creative podcast producer. And it's working out so far. That's so rad. Yeah, I'm. That really stokes me out. So yeah. I so mean, going off of that, yeah. Uh, kind of switching gears before before we get too far away from it, you're getting ready to launch a new podcast, Unsolved Alaska. Yeah, Alaska Unsolved. Alaska Unsolved. Yeah. My bad. Which is a true crime podcast, right? Yeah. How did you go from talking about mountain climbing to that? So it's really, and I'm glad you asked because I wanted to talk to you about this because I was so stoked. I'm sure you remember like a couple months ago when I saw you were doing your, your, your true, I guess yours isn't true crime, but you're talking about crime in Anchorage. Yeah. Yeah. Doing interviews with people. Like I sent you a bunch of questions. I was like, I was like, dude, this is amazing. Like, I love this kind of stuff. I love investigative journalism. And, and that's how I made the shift because I just, I wanted to do it. Like, I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people, like I'm kind of, it's a little bit embarrassing to say it. it's like a guilty pleasure, but like, I, I'm like, true crime is intriguing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I love like a good investigative journalism story or a podcast. And I was just like listening to these podcasts. I'm like, I want to do that. And so I just, uh, it was last summer. I just kind of started doing some internet searches looking into cases and I ended up remembering this one case from way back in the day. And I was like, huh, it looks like her sister's got like a Facebook page looking for, I reached out to her sister and it just, it happened. I started going down that road. And without giving too much away, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So, um, so the kit, the, this first season is going to be, so I'm launching it actually next Sunday. The first episode is going to come out and it's basically like a serialized podcast. It's like my journey of kind of looking into this case. It's, um, it's a case from back in 1995. There was this young 24 uh, year old woman named uh, Aaron Gilbert who had moved up here from San Francisco. Her sister was living up here on base with her husband and she was up here working as a nanny. Like everything was going good. And she met this guy at uh, Chilkeet Charlie's. They exchanged phone numbers. Um, a week later, they made plans to go down to the forest fair. He came and picked her up on July 1st, 1995. And a couple hours later, she disappeared. And uh, so I have been, I've taken a pretty deep dive into that case. And where do you start? Well, I started with her sister. 
Okay. Uh, her sister has a page, a Facebook page called Finding Erin Marie Gilbert. She came up here a couple of years ago and like one of the news stations did a story about it. So I started with her sister. Uh, I did just some interviews with her and kind of developed some rapport with her. And uh, this was last summer in like August. And I just kind of sat with it for a while because it's, you know, it's, I've never done anything like this before. And it's honestly, it's pretty dark. Mm -hmm. And to be totally honest with you, it's a little bit scary. For you? Well, yeah. As an investigator or, yeah. or is the story scary? Both. Okay. Um, because there's some, un there's unresolved issues in there. They, you know, and there's people, characters in that story who live here in town, you know? So it's, uh, I mean, it's the real deal. So, yeah, I mean, I started with her sister and I just, uh, you know, I sat with it for a couple months and kind of around December, I just decided to do it. My, my, my goal isn't to solve the case. Like my goal was to kind of tell Aaron Gilbert's story, like tell the story of what happened. And I just think it's like a really intriguing story. And it turns out a lot of other people around here think it's pretty intriguing too. So. Did you get any pushback? People were willing to talk to you. Oh, I've gotten some pushback from people who I've reached out to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's for like an unsolved case from like almost 24 years ago. It's, it's funny, man. People, people don't want to dig that stuff up. You know, they don't want to talk about it. But, you know, I've, um, yeah, I mean, you can keep asking me questions. I'll, ta I'll talk about it more. I mean, I, I actually wanted to talk about it with you because I know that you are like you're a journalist. So I'm. I think you'd actually be really interested in this story. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> for it. I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about it yeah. is, uh, but at the same time, I want to, I don't want to give anything away. Right, right, you right. Know? Well, what I can tell you is I've, um, I've talked to her sister. I've talked to Aaron's friends from high school because I wanted to do an episode that kind of got listeners to know her. And then I've interviewed witnesses who spoke with her at the Forest Fair 24 years ago. Uh, I've interviewed the Alaska, the lone cold case detective in the state uh, who's in charge of her case. I've talked to Girdwood residents who lived down there at the time. Uh, I've talked to search and rescue specialists. I've tried reaching out to the individual who took her down to the forest fair that day. Uh, he wasn't too happy to hear from me. Were you uh, able to talk to him? Uh, I called him and uh, pretty recently, actually, uh, and he hung up on me. I called him back, said, hey, I think we got disconnected. He basically said, don't, don't ever call me again. Really? So actually, just this last Monday, I mailed him a letter and basically said, hey, just so you know, I'm doing this podcast. I'm using old quotes from you from the newspaper. You know, here's who I've talked to. Um, I think that you're uh, an important aspect, you know, component of this story. I, I, I asked him to reconsider. I, I don't think I'll hear from him though. I know, um, serial when they were doing their investigations, yeah. it seemed like they were able to eventually talk to people they weren't otherwise able to talk to. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that happens in this case. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny, dude. I've put so much time into it. I mean, I've been working on this for 10 months and it's it's been life-changing for me um, because it's a real story. I mean, there's a family out there like Aaron's sister. I mean, 
she's been looking for her sister, been looking for an answer for 24 years. And one of the compelling parts of this story is like, she's not giving up. Like she's determined to find out what happened. And, um, so like I said, like I, I, it's not my job to solve the case. And like, to be, to be honest with you, like, I just, it's so much work doing it to dive into a podcast like this, do all the research, all the interviews, all of the editing, all of the production. I mean, dude, massive, it's, it's a massive, massive project. And like, I kind of, you know, I have to, I kind of got to wrap it up. I just can't keep going. So my, my hope is that it gets people talking. My hope is that it brings attention to her case. You know, I, I you know, it's, it's, I, I don't know what happened. Um, but I'm, you know, I feel like I've done a pretty thorough investigation and, and, and that, you know, my kind of journey, you know, going down this road, that's, that's what people are going to hear on the podcast. What's it like for a family and those close to her to let you into that inner sanctum? I was really nervous about it at first. Um, you know, I was, cause you know, there's all these like, especially in the internet age now, there's all these armchair, you know, private investigators out there on like true crime forums and stuff. Like they just, they spend their lives talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I was concerned that she would be like, who's that, who the hell is this dude that wants to do a story? But, you know, I just, I just took it really slow. You know, I, I was really upfront with her. I said, I'm interested in this case. Like I've always been interested in this case. And I kind of told her, like, I think that I can create a podcast that is really going to be special because it's, it's not going to be, it's not like about it. You know, like I kind of wanted to honor her sister. Like I want to tell her, I want to, I want people to know who she was. And I think that uh, really meant a lot to her sister. Like she, that, that, that angle worked for her. And, you know, it took me months before I even committed to doing it. And so I did interviews with her bef before I committed to her. And I told her, I said, I'm interviewing you, but I want you to know, like, I'm not ready to commit to this. And I sat with it for months before I committed to it. Um, so I just, I just tried to be myself and tried to be, just kind of show her that like my intentions were to, to tell her sister's story and just be really authentic and, and honest about it. And, um, um I just talked to her today, actually, <clears throat> her sister. <clears throat> so has she heard any of the episodes? You know, I let, I let her hear drafts of the first two episodes like three or four months ago. So she kind of understood what I was doing and she was, she liked it. I mean, she was just like, this is, amazing like that's good to hear it, it exceeded her expectations of the what she thought it was going to be basically so i and and i kind of just chose to not share anything after that because i just don't really want to be influenced by you know i kind of um and i've been vet i've been vetting my work with other journalists um who in my mind are very experienced and seasoned journalists and um I'm feeling feeling pretty good about the integrity of my work so far. So Well, I'm looking forward to it, dude. Yeah. 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 I mean, I it's funny, like I I wish I had somebody to do this with me. It's it's so hard, man. Like 
Is like, that I wish I had an invitation. Kind of. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I. It's nice to be talking to another. Um, it's funny. Like I don't consider myself a journalist, but really, um, I guess I am kind of entering that world. And so it's it's nice to talk to other people who do that kind of work because it's it's a it's been lonely for me doing this. It's like people have asked me. It's like, are you a little bit scared? It's like I'm not scared, but it's like when you're doing like when you write for like. A newspaper, mm -hmm. you have an entity almost kind of protecting you. And I don't have that. Like, I'm just like this dude on my own doing this. And it's, I've kind of felt like I've put myself out there a little bit. <laughs> well, and when you're sitting with all that information, maybe sometimes you can't make heads or tails of it. You know, it's yeah. always helpful to have another set of eyes. Yeah. My, my wife, Carrie, um, has always been on the masthead of Crude as the managing editor. And right. the joke is that she manages the editor, you know? <laughs> And I, I couldn't do uh, any of this without her. Right. You know, she has read every single one of my articles, every yeah. single first drafts, every single, you know, she listens to all the podcasts. She gives me your feedback. Cool. And I think that I've been lucky to have that because I've been a freelancer <clears throat> for so long. Right. In a similar position as you, where you're just like, the only reason that you know it's good work is because you've produced it before and you've gotten the accolades. Right. But unless you you know, took that first step, it, right. you know, you would have never known. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, dude, I, it, it's funny. It's just like trying to find a way to, um, I mean, if I was going to put a price tag, like if somebody was hiring me to do this pot, the Alaska unsolved, dude, it's like a 30 or $30,000 project probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how much time I've put into it. And so it's, it's a labor of love, man. It's like definitely ain't doing it for the money because I'm not making a goddamn dime doing it. You know? <laughs> um, it's absolutely a labor of love. Like I, yeah. like I said earlier, you know, it's one of those things that feeds your soul. Right. And you can look back and you can be happy at the product you produced. I, I always use this, this, uh, this analogy of, you know, when I'm, when I'm lying there on my deathbed, I'm not going to be like, God, I'm freaking so glad I bought that Ford Raptor. Right. You know, like I want right. to be like, look at all this shit right. that I did, you know? Right. Well, dude, I, yeah, I mean, I, it, people have asked me like, dude, why have you put yourself, why have you inserted yourself into this case? Like, why, why'd you do this? And my answer is because I wanted to do it. That's why I'm doing it. Cause I wanted to do it. Cause it was compelling to me. And, and honestly, just seeing like what it's meant to her family, that there's somebody out there that wants to tell, I mean, just seeing how much it means to them is like, that's all I need. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's meaningful. Like I want to do meaningful work. You know, that's the cool thing about being a freelancer is you can do whatever the hell you want. You yeah. Know, like nobody tells you what to do. Um, so it's a little tougher maybe to make a living sometimes, but I, I really appreciate having the freedom to, I mean, I'm an old skateboarder, man. I'd like, I want to do what the hell I want. Like, I don't like people telling me. Yeah. What yeah. To do. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's that's like instilled in me. Dude, that's awesome. Well, I'm like I said, I, I'm excited to hear it. I think we could probably talk right. forever. <laughs> so uh thank you so much for being on the yeah, show, man. man. Before we go, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I wanted to talk to you more about skateboarding and snowboarding. <laughs> maybe maybe the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because there there was a whole period of my life where like from when I was like probably 12 to when I was 17, I was, my whole world was like skate skating and 
I got into snowboarding when they first allowed it, like at Alieska and Hilltop. Let's get into it. Well, we don't need to talk about it a lot. I'm, you know, I'm mostly just because I know I know enough about you to know that that's a big part of your life, you know, because um, of your family and stuff. So I, I wanted you to know I come from that world too. No, absolutely, and I, I can, I can, I could tell. Um, and one of the things that you said earlier that that really resonated with me was that you don't climb anymore. Yeah, you know, and and it's because of an injury right. and. I don't snowboard anymore, not because I don't want to, mostly because I can't afford it and I don't have the time. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing expensive, it's very expensive. <laughs> and and uh, and honestly, not to throw shade on any of the the resorts here in Alaska, but they're so inconsistent with a park or right. and, and you know powder is right, always going right, to be inconsistent right. that if I'm only able to go on the weekend or whatever, then I have to go snowboard on bulletproof you know which is that's never fun and as you get older you start worrying about am i gonna eat shit am i gonna be able to go to work the next day or you know well you don't recover the way you did when you were younger exactly but but at the same time i'm able to sit here with people like you uh people like jason borgstead right excuse me right I've interviewed Jesse Bertner, you know, people that oh, right. that I really grew up with right. and that I've always looked up to, you know, those people that that were steadfast in pursuing something that they are passionate about in the same way right. that you are. Yeah. There's a it, it's I mean it's funny, dude. I've been watching a bunch of like skating videos on YouTube, like going back and watching some of the old skate videos from when I was a kid. They're all on YouTube. It's yeah. awesome. But I've just been following like more skaters in Alaskan skaters too. There's some rippers up here right oh, now. Oh yeah. There's a young dude. I can't remember his name. I think he might be sponsored by Blue and Gold. Is it uh Danny Redman? Yeah, dude, he's so good. So good. He's so good. Yeah. Like I love watching his Instagram videos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah, love yeah. that kid. I don't even know him, but he's awesome. Yeah, he kills it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's funny. Like I'm super removed from that world, but I love it. I love watching people skate and you can rip. appreciate it yeah so we don't we don't need to talk about a lot i just wanted to like acknowledge it because i it's just it, it's it's awesome i identify with that spirit you know those are those people are kind of kindred spirit with me <laughs> so should we end on that kindred spirits yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. all right yeah. well it's been rad having you on yeah man all thanks right. for having me For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alcoda Beats.